0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world.
1: Hello, greetings
2: from Hanin Saleh from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Happy 70th birthday, KBS World Radio. I wish the channel the best of luck in all its future endeavors. To tell you a little bit about myself, I fell in love with Korean culture as I started to tune in to KBS channels when I was 13 years old. You helped me understand Korea and the Korean culture better, and I started to build a strong relationship with the country. Last year, I won an award from YALA K-pop, a K-pop contest hosted by KBS World Radio's Arabic service, and got to visit Korea for a performance. Guess who I got to meet there? The Arabic service staff members. They were such wonderful people and gave me the warmest welcome. I was so happy to meet them. They were the best out of all the people I met in Korea. Once again, happy birthday, KBS World Radio.
1: 70
0: years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you, wherever you are.
3: Hello, it's Friday, the tenth of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Won. The Democratic Party has withdrawn its motion to impeach the head of the state broadcasting watchdog with plans to re-pursue his removal in the near future. We will have more details in news briefing shortly. Last Sunday, South Korea made the controversial decision to temporarily ban the short selling of stocks until the second half of next year. We discuss the implications for weekly economy review and coming up for movie spotlight. We review the latest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and an award-winning local independent film. We have all that and more on today's KOREA 24 Less than 24 hours after passing a motion to impeach the Korea Communications Commission Chair, Lee Dong-wan, the main opposition Democratic Party has withdrawn the bill... And pledged to re-pursue his removal in the near future. Our KBS World Radio news editor Ku Hijin joins us in the studio now to tell us more about the latest partisan strife at the National Assembly, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hijin, hello. Hello, Zhangwon. So, we saw some frantic political wrangling in Parliament yesterday, and just a day later, it seems the DP has withdrawn its position. So what can you tell us?
4: Well, National Assembly Speaker Kim jong pyo approved the opposition party's filing to withdraw its motion from Thursday. At a press briefing on Friday, DP Deputy Floor Leader Park Jumin said his party plans to submit another motion when the National Assembly convenes plenary sessions on November 30th and on December 1st. Asked about the ruling People Power Party's protest of the DP's withdrawal without consent from a plenary session, Uh, Park urged the ruling side to halt its political offensive that has led to arbitrary uh, interpretation and confusion the DP tabled uh, motions to impeach the head of the state broadcasting watchdog as well as two prosecutors during Thursday's plenary session. Handling of the motion under the legal deadline between 24 and 72 hours of their submission became unlikely after the session ended with the PPP's decision not to filibuster another
3: set of contentious bills that passed the Parliament. Right, so it sounds rather confusing, but essentially parliamentary technicalities meant that it was very hard to pass the bill this time mm-hmm. so the dp are postponing it until the next plenary session when they can push it through and that will be november 30th mm-hmm. meanwhile the kcc chair Idongwan himself on friday slammed the dp's push to impeach him as a form of quote-unquote trumpism So what is he referring to here?
4: Well, the broadcasting watchdog chief criticised the DP for abusing their majority at the Assembly, calling it a new kind of terrorism. He also compared the recent wave of impeachment motions filed by the main opposition party to the populist Politics of former U.S. President Donald Trump in an apparent reference to the phenomenon of a public enthusiasm for extreme claims he made during his candidacy, calling the DP's abuse of its parliamentary dominance a tyranny of the majority. He said that the founding fathers of the U.S., uh, who des- uh, designed the presidential system, uh, were deeply worried about such a
3: scenario. Okay, let's turn now to some other headlines. The nation's two major umbrella labor unions will stage massive rallies in Seoul on Saturday to call for the immediate enforcement of the so-called Yellow Envelope Bill that was passed by Parliament on Thursday. Can you elaborate?
4: Well, according to the police on Friday, the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions plans to stage a rally near the Sadaemun and Dongnimun subway stations starting 2pm, while the Federation of Korean Trade Unions is planning a rally in Yoido from 1pm. The KCTU has reported... A attendance figure of some 35,000 members, while FKTU has reported 60,000. However, according to related sources, KCTU is aiming for a total turnout of 200,000 members, while FKTU expects up to 100,000. The police plan to dispatch LED display vehicles to provide real-time noise measurements and impose strict restrictions on noise near residential areas, schools, hospitals and public libraries and so forth. Over 10,000 officers from 160 police units will be deployed on site to respond to any unexpected incidents, and those engaging in illegal acts will promptly be ordered to disperse. While others uh, obstructing police will be apprehended.
3: Meanwhile, unionized workers of these whole subway system ended their strike at 6pm today on the second day of their collective walkout. It was just before the Friday evening commute. So what can you tell us?
4: Well, the Union of Seoul Metro has warned that this week's strike is merely a precursor and that there is possibility of a large-scale strike after next Thursday if there is no progress in negotiations with management. The two-day strike, which started at 9am on Thursday, saw the operation rate of trains hover at around 80% of normal levels. On the first day of strike on Thursday, trains were operating at 75.4% of normal levels as of 6pm.
3: Let's turn our attention now to the southeastern port city of Busan, which will hold its annual Turn towards Busan Memorial Ceremony for UN veterans on Saturday. Can you tell us more?
4: Well, Busan announced on Friday that the event will include a moment of silence for one minute at 11am to remember and commemorate the noble sacrifices of the 22 participating UN countries and their veterans who fought in the Korean War. Also at 10am in Busan Peace Park, it will hold an unveiling ceremony for a sculpture dedicated to General Richard Whitcomb, uh, which was uh, created with donations from over 18,300 citizens. Meanwhile, the remains of four Colombian and two British uh, Korean war veterans will be laid to rest at the UN uh, Memorial Cemetery on Saturday in a first for the remains of Colombian war
3: veterans. In other news, South Korean author Hang won the prestigious pre Medicis Award on Thursday with her novel, I Do Not Bid Farewell. This is a French literary award, correct?
4: Indeed. The judging panel of that award announced in Paris on Thursday that the book was named the winner of the prize in a foreign language category. The Prix Medicis, uh, founded in 1958, is one of the four major French literary awards, along with Prix uh, Femina, the Prix Goncourt, and the Prix Renaudot. Uh, The foreign literature category was added in 1970 to recognise trans. Translated books. The same book narrowly lost the pre femina on a Tuesday, for which it was also shortlisted.
3: Turning to the financial markets as well today, foreign investors were net sellers of South Korean stocks for the third straight month in October on the back of geopolitical instability induced by the Israel Hamas conflict. Can you tell us more?
4: Well, data from the Bank of Korea released on Friday showed a net offload of 2.22 billion US dollars in stocks last month, climbing from the net selling of 910 million dollars and 1.33 billion dollars respectively in August and September. Foreigners also sold a net of $580 million in lo- uh, local bonds in October, up drastically from a net sale of just $100 million a month earlier.
3: And finally, the presidential office says South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol and the Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida will jointly attend a roundtable at Stanford University on November 17th on the margins of their visit to San Francisco for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit next week. Can you give us more details?
4: Well, the South Korean presidential office said on Friday that Yoon and Kishida plan to exchange views on bilateral as well as trilateral cooperation with the US on cutting-edge technologies. During a four-day trip starting next Wednesday, Yoon may also hold a bilateral meeting Meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping and also meet with leaders of the US and Japan for a freeway gathering. President Yun departs for San Francisco next week to attend the APEC summit. This will be the president's first time participating in the summit since taking office.
3: That's where we wrap it up for our news briefing today. Thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. South Korea's financial regulator made a surprise announcement last Sunday. It announced that it will temporarily ban uh, stock short-selling until the second half of next year as part of efforts to crack down on illegal short-selling by global investment banks. The move took effect on Monday but it has come under fire with critics saying that it will put off foreign investors and that it's aimed at appeasing local retail investors ahead of the general elections next April. We'll take a deep dive into this ban and its ramifications for our weekly economy review today. And for that, we're joined in the studio by Economist Professor Yang Jun suk from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor Yang, hello. Hello. So concerns over illegal short selling that undermines market stability prompted the Financial Services Commission last Sunday to announce this suspension of the practice of short-selling until the end of June 2024. Okay, so short-selling, we should explain to our listeners, uh, refers to the trading technique in which the trader essentially bets that a stock will fall in price. They do that by borrowing shares from a broker and immediately selling them, at which point the trader buys back the shares after the share prices fall and then returns them to the broker while pocketing the difference minus any loan interest. So,
5: Professor, can you walk us through
3: the government's thinking behind this temporary ban on short-selling?
5: Okay. well, uh, the idea seems to be that Well, let's uh, start with why you do short selling. The reason that you do short selling is to make money when the market is falling. Mm. Uh, Now, if you don't have any way to make money while the market is falling, then the best you can do if the prices are falling is to minimize your losses. Uh, But if you have something like short selling, uh, then you can actually make money uh, when the market is falling. So the idea is that, that would, people would actively lower prices when the price is too high. Uh, and that would allow the market to get the uh, to the right price faster, uh, hit the bottom faster, so the recovery will start faster. So uh, it it allows uh, prices to reflect whatever the market reality is at the fastest speed possible. Right, and it's a very common practice. Right, uh, every every major uh, advanced country uh, financial, uh, every major country with a good financial market uses short selling. Mm. Uh, now. The, uh, the the uh, danger, though, is that the market may be irrational and lower the prices by too much, uh, and uh, the short-selling tool can also be misused for market manipulation, but then so can other type of investment tools. Right. So in that sense, it's not very unusual. Uh, now, uh, one problem with uh, short-selling is that at least... For investors, it can be very, very dangerous. Uh, if the prices go up, uh, then you always gain if you have those stocks. Uh, if the prices go, uh, if you do short selling though, uh, and if the prices do not fall, it rises. You still have to return the uh, stocks that you've sold, even, and you may have to buy it at sky high prices. So at least theoretically, your risk is unlimited upwards. Mm. Uh, so uh, the Risk that you take is a lot more than when when you would do normal, uh, so called long uh, position where uh, you only bet with stocks that you already have. Right. Now, uh, from the neutral point of view, uh, there's a good case to be made against short selling if the market has hit a very large negative shock and market is vulnerable to overreaction. So if you look at the uh, past times that Korea. Uh, banned short selling. It was 2008, global financial crisis, 2012, European budget, uh, government budget crisis, uh, Greece and Spain, and 2020 pandemic. In case of uh, 2008 and 2020, other countries uh, banned short selling for a limited time as well, though Mm. not as long as Korea did. Mm. Uh, And after 2020's uh, ban on short selling, it Loosened up a bit, so it allowed short selling in Kospi and Kostak, uh but it did not completely reinstate uh, short selling. You could only short sell in those uh, stocks which just uh, traded in those markets. Right. Okay. So uh, in that sense, we never fully freed up the uh, short selling market after the uh, ban that went in during the 2020 uh, pandemic. Uh, now, if you look at what's happening right now, well, there's no real big negative shock that we're aware of. Right. Um, There's no pandemic. There's no no financial financial crisis. crisis. Uh, So there is some question on what the government wants from this ban. Uh, Now, another reason, though, is that there has been some cases of market manipulation. Um, uh, There has been uh, accusation that uh, foreign financial institutions did so-called naked Short-selling. That's short-selling without borrowing the stocks first, so you're really selling things that you do not have. Mm. And then there has been some accusations of market manipulation during the uh, summer and fall uh, involving foreign financial institutions, where some investors were uh, thought to have manipulated prices for uh, more than a year to raise up the prices, then suddenly those prices went down during the summer. Mm. Uh, So uh, the uh, market has been somewhat nervous because of that. And then Uh, There is the individual investors, Uh, the conditions required for uh, engaging in short selling, Uh, the conditions that you need to borrow the stocks to engage in short selling, uh, when you have to return those stocks to the uh, uh, people who lent you the stock, uh, those are uh, different between institutional investors and individual investors, and individual investors have been very angry that they're at a disadvantage. Right. Uh, So. Uh, The uh, government, at least for justification, has been saying that uh, because there has been a lot of uh, short selling, which is illegal, uh, the naked short selling, uh, there has been a lot of attempts on market manipulation. They're going to use this period to investigate those cases and to try to set more rules and regulations uh, so that uh, they cannot engage in this type of uh, illegal short-selling. They're also going to look at the uh, rules uh, differentiating uh, institutional and pr- individual investors to see if the conditions can be narrowed a bit more. Uh, but uh, you, that's, I'm not sure if that's a good enough reason to ban short-selling. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so um, some conspiracy theorists are actually looking into whether uh, maybe there's a problem in the uh, Korean stock market that we don't know about. Wow. Okay.
3: So it's going that far because the announcement was such a surprise. People are reaching. I'm guessing uh, you're saying for uh, explanations. But the financial authorities they're describing the measure as uh, an, uh, an attempt to fundamentally ease the quote unquote tilted playing field between institutional and retail investors. So would the ban actually be effective then in
5: restoring the so-called playing field? Okay, well, there's two big major complaints. The first is the so-called collateral rule, uh, the amount of cash you have to put up to borrow assets to uh, engage in short selling. For individuals, it's 120%. And that's actually down from 140%. They lowered it last November, so about a year ago. Uh, and uh, the uh, for institutions, it's only about 105%. Uh, so the uh, institutions get can get a lot more uh, bang for the buck. And then second, it's the length of borrowing the assets for short selling. The institutional uh, investors, they effectively do not have any time limit. So they can return the uh, stocks at any time. If they suffer a loss from short selling, then they can wait until prices become more favorable to buy the stocks and return it to the uh, lenders. But for, inst- for individual investors, they only have 90 days. Mm. So if uh, the price is, of the stock is still high after 90 days, then they would have to suffer a loss by the stocks, even at very high prices, to return to the uh, uh, lenders who lent them the stock. So they would like the conditions to be equal between institutions and individuals. Uh, but the problem is uh, institutions uh, have much more uh, credibility, higher credit rating than most individual investors. Right. So I'm not sure if it'll ever be the same condition. Uh, even if the law allows same conditions between individuals and uh, institutions, the uh, lenders will probably insist on some kind of a premium uh, to uh, individual investors because they are more risky. Mm. If the uh, law forces the two to be the same, then I think... I would believe that uh, there will be some reduction in the uh, short-selling market, if you will, uh, because, well, again, the uh, fundamental risk between institutions and individuals are different. Right. So critics quickly attacked this
3: move after it was announced, saying that Ultimately, it will not achieve what it intends, and that instead it will just make the market less attractive to foreign investors. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Korea is currently the only country in the OECD that bans short selling at the moment. Uh, the critics are also saying that this is potentially a political move to just try and score points with local retail investors ahead of the general elections next year. So Professor, as an economist, what do you think of this ban? What side effects? do we need to be careful of? Do we need to be watching out for already?
5: Okay, under normal circumstances, so we don't have any large positive or negative shocks to the market, not much. Because Koreans don't really engage in a whole lot of short selling, uh, according to some analysts who have looked into this problem, about forty-one percent to about forty-seven percent of transactions or short uh, short selling transactions in uh, countries like U.S. and Japan, but in Korea it's only about two to four percent. Mm. So there's not a uh, whole lot of short selling to begin with. Right. Uh, but if there is a positive shock, uh, then uh, Without short selling, go, prices going up can go up very quickly and without limits. Uh, go, uh, when the uh, those prices perhaps hit a bubble level and the bubble pops, well, short, what short selling allows you to do is prices to uh, fall and recover to uh, more uh, rational levels very quickly. Mm. But without short selling, that might take a long time for the price to settle down to its uh, more or less correct level. Right. Uh, so uh, there is a larger possibility, and it's only a possibility, uh, that they, uh, there may be an asset bubble. Uh, and then, uh, as you mentioned, foreign investors may avoid Korea because foreign investors do see short selling as a useful tool, that one that they use all the time. Uh, and uh More specifically, perhaps, uh, Korea has been trying to get into MSCI, Advanced Country Market Stock Index, for quite a while. One of the conditions that they uh, said they want is to have a free uh, short-selling market. So this will not help Korea get into the uh, MSCI index. And uh, they estimate that uh, if Korea does get into MSCI index, then it would gain about more than 60 trillion won of funds from foreign investors. So we're kind of giving them up, though both the government and the MSCI has said that short selling is not the only criteria. Right, what is the MSCI index again? Uh, MSCI index is the stock index for advanced countries. Uh, so once you get into MSCI, more investors will look at Korea as being a safe investment. Uh, so uh, possibly they will have more uh, foreign investment in the Korean stock markets. Okay. What do you make of the criticisms that this is a a seemingly a political move? Okay, so uh, it's a useful tool. uh, And it's a tool that uh, has the possibility of reducing uh, possible asset bubbles in the market. Uh, It's a tool that's used commonly everywhere. And it's been banned in Korea even though Korea doesn't have any kind of really large negative shock right now. So there's really no justification for banning short selling. Hmm. Uh, The uh, government has said that they're going to use this period to change the rules and investigate any uh, illegal short selling activities, but that does not require a ban. Right. So there's really, think of, thinking about it, there's not really a whole lot of really good explanation. Uh, and so I think uh, when you're trying to reach for an explanation, the obvious one that people can come up with is that this is for political purposes. I see. Okay. Well, for now, the short-selling ban
3: will last until the end of June next year. There is already talk that it could be further extended, uh, but we will see for now. There was one more development this week that we want to get your thoughts on today, Professor. The United States removed South Korea from a list of countries on its currency policy. Uh, monitoring list for the first time in about seven years. So U.S. trading partners are put on the list when they meet two of three criteria set by the U.S. Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act of 2015, also known as the 2015 Act, simply. The criteria consists of a trade surplus with the U.S. of at least $15 billion, a material current account surplus of at least 3.3% of the country's gross domestic product, and persistent net foreign currency purchases of at least 2% of the GDP every year. Korea now only meets the trade surplus criteria. So, Professor, can you explain for us what do you make of the removal and how significant it is? Okay,
5: well, this is probably uh, more of a symbolic importance than real importance, and uh, the reason is that uh, at least in terms of that 2015 Act, uh, when you have, uh, you fulfill three of those three criteria, United States has to go into negotiations immediately uh, to try to change uh, the uh, exchange rates and the uh, trade surplus. And uh, the tools that the uh, law provides uh, is that uh, when countries fulfill these three criteria, so they become a a priority country, uh, then uh that priority country cannot apply to US government procurement market it is placed out of uh, uh lending possibilities with the uh US export import bank but korea really doesn't use uh export import bank of the united states very much we have our own export import bank uh it doesn't really korea doesn't really participate that much in US government procurement market and we already have a government procurement agreement with the united states so it's questionable whether uh you United States can uh, shut Korea out of that market. Uh, So in that sense, at least when the uh, legal provisions are concerned, it doesn't really affect Korea very much, even if Korea does become a priority country. Uh, But uh, if you have someone like, say, President Trump, who's looking for every excuse to try to bring up trade barriers, then you can use the being a priority country to install not only the uh, legal provisions that are in the law, but other trade barriers. And it will make relationship with the U.S. Congress very, very difficult. So in that sense, uh, it's better not to be on that uh, list than be on the list. Uh, But in case of Korea, we're probably going to uh, uh, be... uh, current account surplus right now is lower than the uh, 3% uh, that the uh, rule uh, says, but we're probably going to be back above 3% eventually. So we're going to be back on that watch list eventually, maybe sometime next year. Uh, so in that sense, uh, it's I don't think it has uh, too many long-term implications, uh, but still being off that list does give us a slight advantage in economic diplomacy with the uh, U.S. executive branch and the uh, U.S. Congress.
3: Well, that's we're going to have to leave it for our weekly economy review. Professor, thank you for your analysis as ever, and we'll talk to you next time.
5: Thank you.
0: Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 17.42 points, or 0.72% on Friday, to close the week at 2,409.66. The tech-heavy KOSDAQ also fell, losing 13.56 points, or 1.69%, to close at 789.31. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 6.71 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,316.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time
3: now for Korea Trending, our daily segments where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. For that, we have joining us in the studio now, News Editor Daniel
6: Chen. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jungwoo. It's good to see you again. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? Well, lu is known as the mecca of theater in Korea. Things have been changing rapidly for the worse in this district of culture and performing arts. Many theaters are closing down, including iconic ones that survived the ravages of time.
3: Yes, it's sadly uh, many mini theaters which stood through thick and thin, including the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, are experiencing difficulties staying afloat at the moment.
6: And uh, they're choosing to close down one after another as well. Yes, Hakjun is one of them. It has been one of the most iconic mini theaters in Daehangno since it opened in 1991. But according to industry sources on Thursday, it was confirmed the theater will close down next March. Like you mentioned, the pandemic certainly dealt a heavy blow. Bouncing back to pick up the pieces and make up for lost time and money has been difficult but not impossible. However, it's easier for major theatres that normally stage grand and expensive musicals. For smaller theatres that stage lesser-known original works or children's shows, it's slim pickings. They can't simply afford to bring in celebrities to jack up ticket prices or overcharge their devoted frequenters. Yes, it's a difficult situation. Can you break down uh, the numbers a bit more for us? Because I understand the disparity is quite large as well yes according to figures released by korea arts management services on november 2nd on ticket sales in the performing arts sector less than five percent of overall sales were from stage plays rent hikes were also issues for performers and theater companies without star power or strong viral marketing or positive reviews spreading via word of mouth reaping profits through mini theater productions are deemed nearly impossible the visual cycle continues as artists struggle and rush to churn out new projects. So, decline in quality and originality means less people would be trusting enough of the theater and the performers to come back for more. Mm. So, in order to prevent this trend of theaters shutting down, there needs to be greater support from the art sector or government to provide some degree of assistance. Yes,
3: it seems like Korean theater, especially uh, independent theatre is really at a crossroads at the moment and there needs to be perhaps a debate on how to move forward but in the meantime it needs support to keep going hopefully you'll be able to find it so uh, we don't see more closures like this let's move on to our
6: second story of the day now what do you have for us Korean pro football team Jeju United announced it will be holding a retirement ceremony for goalkeeper Yu Yunsu at halftime of the K League One final B round of 36 match against FC Seoul on Saturday. Yu has been going through rehab after sustaining serious injuries in a car accident last year.
3: Yes, this has been a really heartbreaking story for the team, for the keeper, of course, the league, and the fans as well, right?
6: Yes, it was made official that Yu will hang up his K-League boots on Wednesday, around a year after the accident had sidelined the 25-year-old. Last October in Saugipo City, the car which was carrying Yu and a few other teammates got hit by a drunk driver. The teammates did not sustain major injuries, but Yu had to undergo an operation immediately. He became paralyzed from the waist down. Initially, he faced extreme difficulty, trying to carry carry out even the most basic daily activities without assistance. After a year of intensive rehab, he reached the decision to retire from the sport he loves. He said that it pains him more to be unable to play football than being unable to walk.
3: Yes, I can't imagine what he's going through right now. But uh, I understand he's not giving up on football altogether, right? He's uh, already set his sights
6: on a new stage. Yes, he promised to make a comeback as a footballer in the Paralympics. Right now, he is in a lot of pain physically and emotionally, but he is determined to keep working to get better. He will make a public appearance to thank his fans for all the support, especially through the trying times he had to endure over the past year. The 25-year-old began his career with Cheju in 2020 and played three seasons with the club. Youth, teams honored him, youth team rather, honored him by keeping his jersey number 31 registered as part of the roster while he was undergoing treatment.
3: Well, we wish him all the best in the future and I'm sure he'll get a great send-off tomorrow as well.
6: Let's continue on to our last story. What else has been trending? One of Korea's top entertainment agencies, YG, announced on Friday that their newest group, Baby Monster, will officially debut on the 27th of this month.
3: Yes, expectations are, of course, high as the company has produced global superstar groups like Blank Pink in the past. So what do we know about this upcoming girl band? The group
6: consists of seven members. Uh, Let's hope I get the pronunciation correct. (laughs) Ahyeon, Haram, Rora, Farita, Chiquita, Ruka, and Asa. They hail from three different Asian countries, South Korea, Thailand, and Japan. Out of their official debut, Baby Monster already released their pre-debut single track titled Dream on May 14th. The clip on YouTube has already surpassed 53 million views in less than six months. Uh, The group's official channel has more than 3.15 million subscribers already. Wow,
3: so they've already got quite the following. Uh, The pressure is on the group as they will be the first girl group from YG in seven years. In fact, the last group to debut
6: was Blackpink. The pressure is on the group and everyone related with this project. (laughs) The company is putting in extra meticulous efforts to ensure the girls start things off with a bang. Their debut was postponed for months after YG initially announced a rough date. So the label could carefully choose the debut's project's main track. The company emphasized that they didn't spare any effort and resources to ensure the fans get what they deserve for supporting the group and waiting patiently for their debut. Teams working with Baby Monster also vowed to work harder than ever in post-production for the music videos and assured that the upcoming promotions will delight fans. Okay,
3: we'll leave it there for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Next, we've come to our Friday segment, Movie Spotlight, where we review some of the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. And our critics, of course, bear that responsibility. They've joined us now in the studio. First, we have Jason Bechevice. Jason, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jaya. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And we have Darcy Paquette with us as well. Hello to you too, Darcy. Hi. Glad to be here. So we begin with a major Hollywood release, the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is another superhero film. It is The Marvels. Uh, it has the same title in Korean and it features Korea's very own Park seo as well. But, of course, is led by Brie Larson as Captain Marvel once again. And Jason, this is notably a female-led film with a female director at the helm near the cluster, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, and it's also very multicultural uh, with its cast. We got uh, emin uh, Velini uh, in particular, who's she's actually great. Uh, uh, I might have to check out uh, Miss Marvel. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that yet because she's in that series. Mm. Uh, and yes, yeah, so it does feature uh, Park uh, So Jun, which I'm sorry to say is ultimately a glorified cameo, <laughs> uh, kind of in the, the same way as Parasite. But we'll get, on, I'll get onto that shortly, mm. or we will. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I'm not going to bore you with the history of uh, of MCU. I've actually lost track. I, I don't know where where it's going. I don't know where it's been. I'm just. It's You've got this world of multiverses. And, uh, but I can say it's, it's the 33rd uh, film or phase five of MCU. Mm-hmm. And it's a sequel to Captain Marvel from 2019 starring Brie Larson and continuation of the miniseries Miss Marvel, which I haven't seen. So I was a bit disoriented. I don't know about you, Darcy, when I was, when I was watching. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in a nutshell, we've got... Um, Captain Marvel, uh, or uh, Carol Danvers played by Larson, she gets her powers entangled uh with Camilla Khan and uh and also Monica Rambeau, and that basically takes them on this this mission to uh, once again save the universe. Of after, course. <laughs> after a <laughs> again again, again, <laughs> after a pre-revolutionary attempts to restore her homeland. Uh, after a civil war so she's somewhat bitter and she wants to use all the powers and she can literally get (laughs) her hands on Um, and we've got Pak Sojun who plays Prince Yan so an important character uh, he's husband to uh, Captain America and prince of this planet Uh, uh, Captain Marvel sorry (laughs) Captain Marvel sorry Uh, yes all these captains are are in my brain and getting confused Uh, yeah he's prince of the planet uh, Aradana and it's directed by an American filmmaker Nia Costa Uh, who made uh, Little Woods, Candyman, and she actually apparently approached Marvel Studios with the Fantastic Four X-Men crossover, because, of course, Disney acquired Fox a few years Mm, ago. Right. Uh, And if you stay for the credits, you'll know why. So that that, that was uh, was a little treat at the end. Mm. And it's also notable for its length at just 105 minutes. So it's the longest, sorry, the shortest film of MCU, which I think is an acknowledgement, I think, of MCU superhero fatigue.
3: Yes, I'm sure both of you will have uh, appreciated the shorter running time for (laughs) uh, this Marvel (laughs) film. Darcy, you know, I'm guessing you're not the most enthusiastic uh, Marvel fan, but I know you have enjoyed some of them in the past. So, Darcy, what did you make of this one?
7: Yeah, I I mean, I do acknowledge that Marvel has taken a kind of a unique approach to storytelling in the way that it has kind of you know started these plot lines in one film and then continued them on in other films and so everything's kind of linked together and at least at the beginning there was the sense that if you tried hard enough you could kind of keep track of everything that was going on and you know i guess there's just kind of a natural ceiling to that and unless you're the you know the biggest diehard marvel fan Mm. uh it's really hard to keep up and so so yeah it is true that you know going into a new marvel film these days it kind of feels like you need to sit down and study a bit before you (laughs) you go to the theater just to make sure that you understand who everybody is and where they're coming from and how they got their powers and all this kind of thing uh and so this is a similar type of story i mean i had seen captain marvel uh four years ago when it came out uh i didn't have a really clear memory in my mind of everything that had happened then uh but yeah this film kind of throws you in then it's You know, it's fast paced. Um, (laughs) A lot of people are talking about kind of a crisis within Marvel. And, you know, we've reached the point where, you know, they were riding high for so long. And I guess it was inevitable that at some point, you know, they would lose their momentum. Hmm. Uh, And so the the dialogue around this film is extremely negative. And, you know, on the one hand, I you know, I, I'm going to kind of join in because I think that there are a lot of ways in which this film doesn't quite, you know, live up to anybody's expectations, I think. Right. Um, I mean, on the other hand, it's just, uh, there is a real pile on. And so I, I feel, you feel bad, bad just kind of like right, joining okay. in, you know, and just... Well, well, it's an Some, easy critics, target, some but...
1: critics have actually enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it. But, but I've seen middling reviews as well yeah tell us what you enjoyed about it Jason well, I mean it's kind of fun there's there's this great sequence involving cats, which I loved uh, <laughs> it was a weird sequence. it was a weird, it was a weird scene but I loved it uh, I for one loved it maybe others didn't uh but yeah, you know it does have issues um I mean it's just a bit all over the place, and it's for me it was like really hard to follow because I hadn't watched the um, mm. the series and maybe it was because it was an early morning screening and yeah I mean it's i get get like you know it's good to kind of you know put eggs in the uh in the story for people to find or easter uh, eggs yeah yeah mm. but but yeah it's not it's it, for me it wasn't really um i mean it was entertaining but it wasn't it, I, I don't think it was engrossing enough for right. me to kind of you know i guess <laughs> say it's one of the best marvel films ever ever to you know get uh, release on screen sure I find it interesting that both of you are unwilling to give it a
3: kicking actually because perhaps you have (laughs) such affection for perhaps the idea of Marvel films and the fact they have done one they have reached such a big audience
1: I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that, one that Okay. <laughs> but, but Marvel is definitely, Marvel is, I mean, Darcy mentioned, uh, talked about the, the crisis. Uh, it's definitely peaked. Mm. Yeah, you know, it peaked, I would say it peaked with Endgame and then Black Panther. That was a really good kind of right, okay. uh, period for, for Marvel. It was, it, was, it was phenomenal because you have this hugely culturally significant film, Black Panther, and Endgame really kind of took the blockbuster formula to a whole another level, which is really hard to do. But then since then, it's, it's you know it, you can you can go up to a certain point, but then it's then it's like kind of crashing back to earth. And I think that's yeah. kind of what's happened.
7: I mean, it sort of becomes a parody of itself. Yeah. But, you know, there's certain sequences in this film where I think that they were aiming for kind of so crazy it's genius, <laughs> um, but it didn't quite turn out that way. It was just yeah. kind of like so ridiculous. Things. Right. It's a bit annoying, so...
3: A bit disappointing then, Jason. Uh, we briefly should mention Parkinson's as well, seeing as we are... Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will mention it. I was in, <laughs> I was in an elevator earlier, and they, they have one of these screens where you have, you know, the news headlines. And it was basically saying, it's a small role, but a significant
7: part. <laughs> he was trying to defend himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, it was kind of like the Parasite cameo, because in Parasite, it's, it's a very small, but very important role, mm. and it's similar here. So for those expecting to see him for you know long periods of the film you will come out feeling disappointed because he doesn't appear until like an hour into the film and then he's there for five minutes and then he's gone and so there you go i mean i wonder whether it's because it actually delivers his lines really well in english so it, they're not difficult lines so i do wonder whether that had something to do with it as well so maybe uh, perhaps a foot in the door there
3: for future roles sure. in western films perhaps anyway so that was the marvels let's move on to a new Korean independent film that initially premiered at the Busan Film Festival last year is now getting a theatrical release. It's called A Wild Rumour or Kwae-in Korean. Darcy, can you introduce us to this one?
7: Yes, um, and Wild Rumour with a really strange spelling. It's not R-U-M-E-R, it's R-O-O-M-E-R. Right. Um, and yeah, it's a feature debut of Lee Hong, uh, it won the New Currents Award at Busan last year. And, I mean, it was a film that I think garnered kind of the most critical enthusiasm among the independent films that were released last year or that premiered last year. Uh, the The main character works, I mean, sort of as a handyman carpenter interior designer. Uh, his name's Ki Hong, And he has found this kind of, um, I don't know, very lucky setup where he's um, he's renting out a room in this really nice house you know it's a it 's a big house it's designed in a really interesting way and it's owned by this young couple who are friendly and each of them seem kind of friendly towards him but mm-hmm. um but in terms of their own relationship there's a bit of tension there uh so so he's kind of in a weird situation where his home you know, isn't his home and he's not sure how comfortable to make himself feel. But on the other hand, he's not the kind of character who really worries too much about what other characters feel. Okay, Uh, And that's one of the things that makes the film funny is just seeing him relate to all these other characters. He goes about his job. Uh, You know, sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't. Uh, He's a good talker. Uh, I'm not sure he's a great worker, is my impression (laughs) that I got. And then, you know, basically one day, like he parks his van outside a this building really funny.
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah and so yeah i mean the van ends up staying there kind of at night and then later he discovers that there's this big dent on the roof of his van <laughs> he's like how did this happen and so at this point there's kind of an investigation that starts and
3: okay uh, things there's,
7: start to get revealed slowly from then on
3: there's obviously a lot to this story oh, i mean is, yeah. uh jason you're laughing away yeah. i feel like As someone who hasn't seen the film, we're not quite sure what's funny about it. But Mm. it definitely sounds like it's an amusing film, Jason. What do you think of it?
1: Oh, yeah, it is. And it it really stayed with me because I watch, you know, 20-off films in Busan. And they can sometimes get meshed together. Mm. And so that's why I always write notes. And um, this one stayed with me. And it's, it's a film that you don't easily forget. And it's not... I mean that in a positive way. You know, it's not violent or grotesque or anything like that but it has a really interesting tone so that's why i was laughing i mean on the one hand it's yeah it's quite slow going but there there are these moments that where there's humours kind of inject into narrative and it's really just really funny um, and so yeah very uh, very comical moments um it's not really a social commentary i think it's a reflection on about work and life happiness or rather lack of it uh and deals with relationships it's not melodramatic it doesn't really have a a conclusion in the conventional sense um things do come to a head but it doesn't have a resolution so to speak and so yeah structurally it's really interesting and then you have i mean darcy mentioned the dents uh in the car which that's what kind of sets up the film to drive the story so it kind of sparks off this this chain of events but then by towards the end of the film, you kind of forgot about the car, so uh, or rather the van. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. The more I think about it, the more I like it. It's a really really good film. Very impressive feature debut. Right.
3: I see. So it's a film that perhaps uh, seems understated, but somehow gets under your skin. Would you agree, Darcy?
7: Yeah, I would. I mean, tone is one of the most difficult things yep. for a director to control, and um, you know, if a director controls it with such precision as you know, this director does in this film, then that's a sign that they're talented and, you know, you can kind of look forward to their next work. Um, I have a feeling that the experience of watching this film is also probably quite different, you know, in a theater with an audience compared to watching it on your own. Mm. Uh, Because, um, you know, I did watch this on my own on a screener and uh, I was sort of like, um, like I wasn't quite sure if I was supposed to be laughing. (laughs) I think that if I were in a crowd... Where everybody was laughing, I I would have kind of related to the film in a slightly different way, uh, and so I do recommend if you know if people are able to go and catch it yeah, in the theater, sure. uh, it's just probably a more fun way to watch it. But I did really enjoy it again watching it on my own, and uh, it's yeah, it's just really unusual. It's a long running time.
1: Oh yeah, it's well over two hours. Yeah. Okay. Um,
7: but it you know it didn't feel tiring to watch. Mm. So um, yeah, it's I do recommend that people check it out.
3: Well, it certainly sounds like a film to look out for. Once again, it's called A Wild Rumour. That's R-O-O-M-E-R, as you said, Darcy, <laughs> yeah. or Kwein in Korean. That's what we're going to call it a day. Jason Darcy, thank you for your reviews and we'll see you next time. Yeah, take care.
7: Have a great weekend.
1: pianist shin chang yong you are now listening to korea 24 on kbs world radio
3: we've come to our friday closing segment now next week from seoul where we look at what's coming up in the days ahead joining me in the studio now for that it is our staff editor richard larkin
2: Richard, hello and happy Friday. Hello, happy Friday to you too. Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for? President Yoon Suk-yeol will visit San Francisco next week to attend the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, also known as APEC Summit. This will be the president's first time participating in the APEC Summit since taking office. According to the top office, this week, Yoon and First Lady Kim Gurney will depart for San Francisco next Wednesday and will be there for three days for the event and bilateral meetings with the leaders of other APEC members. The presidential office added that President Yoon plans to emphasise South Korea's contribution to the clean energy transition and overcoming the climate crisis. Talks between Yoon and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida are expected to take place during the time in the US. That's according to Japanese media. And the South Korean government is looking to set up a meeting between the South Korean president and the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. But no details have been given as of yet. Yes, uh,
3: those potential meetings will be very closely watched here, of course. Uh, Meanwhile, during the three-day visit, President Sung-yeol will also host a meeting with korean residents
2: in the city understand that's right and meet with young korean leaders who work in the cutting edge technology field he will then return to seoul next saturday before heading to the uk for a state visit just two days later right and he'll also be visiting france and netherlands uh, after that as
3: well i think we will probably preview all that next week Uh, moving on
2: what's the next thing we should look out for Defence Minister Shin Won-shik and his American counterpart Lloyd Austin will hold their annual bilateral security talks next week to discuss ways to strengthen Washington's extended deterrence against North Korea's missile and nuclear threats. Both Shin and Austin are set to attend the 55th Security Consultative Meeting on Monday, and this will be the first in-person talk since Shin took office last month. They are expected to flesh out the details of the Bilateral Nuclear Consultative Group, which was launched in July, and discuss trilateral security cooperation between South Korea, US and Japan and more. Yes, the two
3: ministers will then attend the inaugural Defence Ministerial Meeting of South Korea and
2: the UN command-sending states on Tuesday, right? Yes. Yes. The participants from the 18 nations plan to urge North Korea to cease unlawful activities and abide by the UN Security Council resolutions. They will also adopt a joint declaration calling for collective responses in case of contingencies on the Korean Peninsula. Right, let's look at one more. What's the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? The College Scholastic Ability Test, also known as CSAT or Sunung in Korean, will take place next Thursday. This is the country's college entrance exam, and it is a big deal here. Mm. Public institutions and the stock markets open an hour later than usual to reduce traffic, so test takers can arrive to take tests on time. Hundreds of thousands of students will take the nine-hour exam on that day. In Seoul, the number of test takers will be 107,423, an increase by 658. It's believed the increase is due to the Korean government's decision to remove extremely difficult questions from the exam. Meanwhile, some areas are seeing less test takers. In North Jeolla province, for example, 295 less people will take the test compared to last year.
3: And I believe this will also be the first test with eased COVID-19 rules since the pandemic
2: started. It is, yes. Confirmed or suspected COVID-19 patients will be allowed to take the test in the same exam room as the other test takers. Wearing a mask is strongly recommended for them, though, and they will have to eat lunch in a separate area. Right. All that to look out
3: for next week. Richard, thank you for that roundup and we'll see you next week. Have a nice weekend. And that's where we wrap up our show as well. Join us again on Monday to continue to get your daily dose of Korean news and analysis. Till then, I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.
6: KBS World Radio.